0: This is the Alpha Universe podcast. I'm Christopher Robinson, editor of alphauniverse.com. And on today's show, I'm speaking with time-lapse artist, Drew Geraci. We talk about how he created the opening sequence of the House of Cards series and how he shoots and processes time-lapse movies. In Tech Talk, I sit down with LD Nadia to learn more about time-bending camera features. Then Drew returns with Do This Now tips for your time-lapse movies. Time-lapse is a mesmerizing hybrid of still photography and movie making. Of the thousands of time-lapse clips you can see on YouTube and Vimeo, a handful stand out as more than just eye candy. The projects made by Drew Geraci and his team at District 7 Media are in that elite group. We caught up with Drew at District 7's headquarters in Washington, D.C. Andrew, thanks very much for joining us today on the Alpha Universe podcast.
1: Yeah, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Chris. I'd like to start by asking, how did you get started in time-lapse? That's a good question. Uh, I think my fascination with time-lapse started uh, during my time in the Navy. Um, I had been uh, kind of tinkering around with uh, HDR at the time and then decided to want to mesh that with uh, motion um, video. Uh, And we kind of came up with with time-lapse and we put that together um, and I fell in love with it almost immediately um, after spending hours and hours of processing it. Uh, and then um, from there on, it was just going out and producing time lapse um, videos and gaining some pretty good recognition and I'm, I'm where I'm at today because of that.
0: Just in the past few years, uh, really, time lapse has become much uh, a much different endeavor for people. It used to be very difficult to produce a time lapse and it's become increasingly easier and more automated. Did you really start back when it was a, a more laborious um, and technical process?
1: Uh, definitely, it was definitely very tedious to put a time lapse together. I can remember having to haul um, generators and six foot, 200 pound uh, sacks of gear on your, your back and whatnot, and um, it was definitely a whole different ball game. The technology wasn't as advanced as it is today, um, and it definitely took a lot of effort and time um, just to get some, some results.
0: How did you actually shoot, uh, or how did you actually come to get the job for House of Cards?
1: Uh, tr- getting the job for House of Cards is actually pretty interesting. So um, I had separated from the Navy, and my first week out, I decided to go around D.C. and put together a little collage of, of time-lapse shots using um, HDR. And we had gone out and done maybe about two days' worth of shooting. I put together a video, threw it up on Vimeo, um, and it received a, a fair amount of hits, probably like maybe twenty or 30,000 hits. And then maybe a couple months down the road, I got a phone call, um, and it was David Fincher. And David Fincher was like, hey, you know, uh, we've got this great project coming up here, and we'd love to talk about uh, maybe getting you on board for it. And at the time, I had no idea what it was. um, And we met in Union Station down in D.C. and had lunch, um, and he was talking about this. And he's like, yeah, we're looking at producing a new intro for a new show. We're kind of looking for a grittier side of D.C., and you know, we think you're the guy to do it. And I said, yeah, I'm up for the challenge. Let's do it. Um, I really had no idea what the show was about or who was even cast in it, and then maybe about a year later, because it took about, took about six months to shoot, um, come to find out that uh, you know, Kevin Spacey and the rest of the gang is in it, and it's an incredible show, and from there just kind of skyrocketed, and business has been booming, so it's been great.
0: You know, the, the best uh, title sequences for any film really serve as prologue to the main story as opposed to just sort of a standalone um, sequence. House of Cards, I think, really has that. Um, instead of a setting, Washington, D.C. becomes a living thing that moves and breathes and consumes, and it, it, it feels like kind of a monster through that opening sequence. Was that the intention?
1: Yeah, that was definitely the intention. We wanted to get the, the kind of darker, grittier side of D.C., the real D.C. You know, It's not just about the monuments or the postcard scene that you see. Um, it's really like getting into the city and seeing what it's about. Um, and one of the shots that I love the most, and I think um, David did as well is we were on the, the banks of the Anacostia River and we didn't set anything up, but there um, you know on the riverbank was this oil drum and some construction and that's the real DC. Um, and then you've got the nat- National Stadium in the background. Um, and that was just one of my favorite shots of the, the whole um, intro. Um, and it kind of captures um, or encapsulates what DC really is in my opinion. You know, when I
0: watch it, I, I just get really consumed with, you know, there's sequences where the, the traffic is moving and it feels like this beating heart and blood coursing through, you know, this beast. And you just have this feeling you're about to watch a, a show that's going to consume everybody in some way before it's done. Like no one here gets out alive. And that's that's kind of what DC is.
1: That's exactly what it is, especially with all the traffic. <laughs> no one ever escapes.
0: <laughs> Take me through some of your, your just general um, – Workflow for time lapse Uh, we we mentioned that you started in an era when it was a a different process than it is now Maybe you can tell me how your process started and how it's really evolved in the past couple years.
1: Uh, I mean, from a shooting aspect, it's pretty much uh, been about the same. There's definitely been um, a lot of advancement in technology with, around dynamic range and shooting and whatnot, but when it comes to the actual processing of the images, that's where it changed a lot. Um, in the beginning, when we were doing the the standard HDR, which basically takes three frames and compiles them into one, it was taking eight to 12 hours to do a single shot, and you, know, you have to realize that's only 400 frames, and you're only going to be getting around 16 seconds worth of footage, so... Um, eight hours for 16 seconds of footage is is pretty bad. Um, In today's standard, we can now do, um, I can render probably around 20 sequences um, in about two hours. Um, So it's really a huge jump or leap um, just in the past five years. But for our main workflow, basically, we shoot everything raw. We'll bring it into Adobe Lightroom. uh, And then from Adobe Lightroom, we do all of our color correction and processing. um, And then we'll dump either... TIFFs, JPEGs, or the raw files into After Effects, um, and then edit from there, and then depending on what the client's needs are, we can, um, you know, put together a, a nice composition in Adobe Premiere Pro, or just export ProRes um, or Synform 4K, and then and get it out that way.
0: What resolution do you shoot in?
1: Uh, the, our standard resolutions right now is 4K, um, and then we're also shooting in 8K as well, because. Um, High-resolution images are definitely the future and definitely what we need uh, or editing houses need, I guess, if they want to punch in and and create other scenes as well. So um, I'm definitely all for higher resolution in processing.
0: So when you say you shoot in in 4K, um, I'm a little surprised about that because I would think just like you were saying that the houses want, you know, they want the maximum resolution so they can do different things with the sequence. And with time-lapse, you're essentially shooting still frames. So you're only limited by the resolution of the sensor of whatever camera you're using and, of course, by your processing power down the line. Um, so I, I would
1: have,
0: I guess I would have thought you'd be shooting habitually in 8K or above just to have as much latitude as possible, assuming that doesn't, doesn't just fry your computer.
1: No, absolutely. I mean, if we have the capability of shooting 8K, um, we'll do that. Um, I would say that the majority of our needs right now from our clients is just 4K. Um, but that's why we shoot in 8K, so we can always um, you know, scale up later if we need to.
0: What gear do you use to shoot mostly now?
1: Uh, right now we're using um, all of the Sony products. We're using the Sony A7S two and the R2, um, as well as some of the legacy A7S um, and R's as well. Um, and they're just phenomenal pieces of uh, equipment.
0: What drove you to the
1: the Sony gear? Uh, I think the, the, the real selling point was um, the dynamic range, um, you know, before, you've probably been looking at around maybe 11 stops to 12 stops max, and now we're shooting at 14 plus, uh, which means we can really um, retain and have a lot of detail in the highlights, midtones, and shadows, uh, which is perfect for time lapse because you really want to be able to showcase everything in the scene um, and not have something that's underexposed or overexposed. Um, so the Sony's make a, a really great composition for us when it comes to the processing. Um, and then the other part of it, too, is. Um, Sony's ability to meter light, you know before a lot of time-lapse artists or, or shooters had to do manual stop-down when you're doing like a day-to-night transition uh, But now I would say with Sony's technology it, it the, the metering um, is just perfect. Um, you can do day-to-night, night-to-day without actually having to touch the camera Which is pretty impressive. Um, on A lot of other systems that are out there. Um, you don't have that you'll get a lot of flicker um, And it just causes nightmare in the processing. Um, but overall, I mean, the, the cameras are super amazing, very lightweight, easy to use, and you can also use existing manufacturer lenses from other companies as well on them, which we really like.
0: So when you're on location, um, what's a what's a typical setup look like for you? Do you typically have one camera going on, um, on a static support? Do you have a camera going on a, a slider? What does it look like?
1: Yeah, it looks like a, a big mess, really. Um, no, it's... Uh, <laughs> It's pretty awesome you know on a standard um, shoot we'll bring in four to five cameras um, and what we like to do is do sequencing um, on our shots so we'll have a wide variety of ranges of of lenses from wide to medium to tight shots and we'll likely have two motion control shots rolling and then uh, two to three stationary shots all the different focal lengths Um, and that's because later on in post if our clients want to be able to cut things together um, or just kind of show a different angle we'll have that ability to do that so with any shoot-up and any setup that we have, we'll typically have at least five cameras rolling. So it's, it's a pretty big production for us.
0: So really, when you're shooting, you're building an extensive image library um, of every, every scene that you create.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and when, when you couple that with an AK resolution, you, know, you really have a ton of material to work with. Um, and it's something that can be reused and used again um, you know, by multiple parties. So it works out great.
0: When we were talking specifically about the House of Cards opening, uh, you know that whole opening really feels like it has a story to it. It's not just a bunch of kind of cool scenes stuffed together and that leads you into the show. It feels like an evolution is, is happening there. And you're developing a character and there, there feels like a story. When you're shooting something like that, are you thinking about that in the as you're shooting or is it something where like let's get a whole lot of footage and then let's see what, what we can craft in post?
1: You know, I'm going to say it's a little bit of both. Um, you know, originally we had actually shot over 130 different scenes in D.C. And then from those 130 scenes, um, the editors uh, decided to, you know, what shots they, they thought made the, the story work. And we had a nice little shot list put together um, to kind of craft that story ahead of time, kind of depicting on um, what scenes we thought would would kind of showcase the city in that dark, gritty light. Um, and in the end, the the editors picked the shots that they felt were the best, and I think it worked out really well. Um, and, you know, as you said before, it tells a really um, you know, nice story and it characterizes the city.
0: You mentioned that you're doing all your shooting in in HDR. How's that working?
1: Well, you know, previously we had done all of our stuff in HDR, um, but now because of the the advancement of technology of having these um, larger dynamic ranges on the cameras, especially in Sony. Um, you don't necessarily need to shoot it in HDR. Um, so we're able to take one single frame from, from, say, a Sony and get the same effect that we would from a six-year-old Canon. Um, and it makes life so much easier. So we're actually able to create that HDR feeling and look without actually having to have um, the three separate images put together.
0: Uh, okay, so I misunderstood. So you're creating basically HDR images, but from a single frame. That's not, correct. Not shooting traditional HDR style.
1: Right, exactly. So we, we've given that up just because of the fact that there's not, it's not really necessary anymore.
0: I imagine that's a huge time saver for you in post-processing.
1: Well, it is a huge time saver. You know, as I was saying before, it took maybe 8 to 12 hours per sh- single shot um, just to process that. So you know, we've taken it down from that to about 2 hours to maybe even 30 minutes, depending on how um, extensive our color corrections are. So it, it's pretty great.
0: Can you tell us what, uh, what your setup is specifically?
1: Yeah, specifically right now, um, I'm using the new uh, 6950X Intel Core i7 10-core processor uh, with 128 gigs of RAM um, DDR4-3000, and then I've got dual GTX 1080s um, with uh, 6 gigs each, and then we're using pretty much all solid-state drives. Uh, We've got a 2,000 megabit per second PCIe SSD um, for all of our applications, which basically makes everything just operate so much faster. You can open an application and just like by sneezing on it, so it's pretty fast. Um, We're using dual 4K monitors to do all of our color correction on, and then um, I think that's pretty much it. Um, I think one of the things that really um, hinders a lot of people is they don't have the right workstation or computer set up for processing time-lapse. Um, you really want to make sure that you're using um, at least a four or six core processor with 32 gigs of RAM um, and a decent graphics card. And I definitely want to say um, SSDs um, are the way to go. That way you can transfer information more quickly um, through the the processing when you're in Lightroom and uh, After Effects. Otherwise, you're going to be probably waiting an extra couple of hours um, if you're using something that's maybe a a four core or even like a two core processor um, and 16 gigs of RAM. Um, so making sure you have the proper workstation um, and the the hardware to, to go with that to handle the time-lapse, it's going to make a world of difference um, in your processing time and your delivery.
0: I've been talking a little bit about how you craft a story in time-lapse. How much of it, are you editing at your end versus what's getting sent out to like, let's use the house of cards opening as, as an example, how much of that was created uh, the final edit was created in house versus what was sent off to say Fincher and the other creative parties to, to build that.
1: So the majority of the house of cards um, shots were actually sent off to the post-production house in California. Um, so they were the ones they were handling all of the, um, the editing, and then the final production. So we kind of gave our input on which scenes we thought would go where, um, but they ultimately had the final decision in that. Um, And then for season two, we actually, they came back to us, and we did some other shots, um, and we did some of the post-production for it, um, and then they put that into the um, original trailer, or the original intro. Um, But for the most part, it was just the other editors that had the control over the the crafting of the story.
0: When you're creating a time-lapse do you typically try to keep the the time shift consistent through the entire production? Um, or do you like to, you know, to ramp it up, slow it down um, as you're moving through?
1: Can you be a little more clear on what you mean by time shift?
0: Um, so, like, if you're shooting, you want to compress 10 minutes down to two,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? Is, is that a typical uh, ratio, or do you occasionally compress 10 down to two? Do you sometimes do two hours down to two minutes? You know, so that you're you're sort sure. of... Just uh, changing the ima- how, the, how the time is passing.
1: Um, you know, it really depends on what the scene is, but I would say this, uh, the standard for us is you know we shoot 400 frames, um, and that's going to be probably over the period of about an hour or so. Um, but it really just depends on what elements of time lapse that you're shooting. Um, if you're shooting something fast like cars and people, you don't actually want to have a very long um, duration of time. You're probably looking at maybe a 20-minute window at the most. Um, for that, but let's say you're shooting something that's slower moving like clouds or shadows. Um, you know, Shadows in particular, um, I can remember I've shot uh, in one of the scenes in House of Cards that it took about 13 hours to shoot because we had to be there uh, for the whole progression of the shadows um, just kind of lurching up the side of the, the buildings and it took a long time to get there. Um, so really it just comes down to what elements of time lapse you're shooting that's going to kind of dictate um, the the time frame that you're going to be shooting in.
0: For people who are listening that create time lapse, but are having some challenges with just keeping it um, smooth, and maybe would be interested to know some of your um, actual settings, could you describe camera settings that you use?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think for the most part, the most typical camera settings for any kind of time lapse is, is shooting everything on manual mode. So you want to make sure that you know, your automatic ISO, aperture, and shutter speed are all off, um, and I think one thing that screws up a lot of people is they have lenses that have um, vibration reductions or image stabilization on. You want to make sure that's actually turned off um, because even if your camera is sitting stationary, the, the motor inside the lens is actually going to keep rotating around um, and it's going to cause jitter um, and ultimately may cause deflicker or flicker as well. Um, and the next step too, to create um, you know, a really nice smooth time lapse is to get away from autofocus lenses. Um, and use ones that have uh, manual apertures on them. Um, that way, the aperture stays constant throughout the entire shooting process. Um, if you use one that has doesn't have a manual um, uh, aperture, what's going to happen is every time that shutter clicks, it's going to vibrate just a little bit and be off just a little bit, and that's what's going to cause um, a lot of flicker um, in your shooting. So um, I definitely, one of the biggest tips is just to make sure you use um, manual lenses or de-click, um, which means... Kind of um, dehinging your lens from your camera, so it, it can't read the data, and the, the aperture stays fixed. Um, but overall, I think that's pretty much the, the basic settings. Um, you know, I think one of the uh, the best time lapse feeling, or I should say, one of the the ways that you can create something that looks cinematic um, is to drag your shutter. Um, and dragging your shutter indicates, you know, you're going to be shooting at you know half of a second to a two second to three second shot, uh, which means that that anything that's in the foreground or that's moving in your scene is going to be blurred um, and kind of stretched out. It's going to give you a really nice fluid motion feeling, and I think that's something that separates um, amateurs from the professionals Uh, because if you shoot at too high of a shutter speed, let's say you're at 1 60th or 1 500th of a second, um, it's going to be very jittery and ragged, uh, or jagged, I should say, Um, and it may not be as as fluid or flowing. So um, that's probably one of the biggest tips I can offer.
0: And that really creates that sort of blip feeling, where as things move through the frame, um, you know, if your shutter speed is a little bit too high, they'll be real sharp and then just kind of wink in, wink out, as opposed to getting a little bit of blur to them, where it feels a little bit more natural, even if things do pass in front of the lens.
1: Yeah, exactly. And you know, I don't it, particularly, I don't like um, seeing things teleport in and out of the scene. So like, there could be a car in the in one frame, and the next frame, it's gone, and you're like, oh, what happened? Um, but if you drag your shutter, it it lends or it tells the story of where that car is going and the direction that it's moving or how the people are moving, um, and it really just makes it look a little more professional.
0: We've been talking a lot about House of Cards in particular, and I know you get asked about that, that project a lot, <laughs> but it certainly is not the only thing you're doing, and I know right now you're doing a fair amount of work for, for Red Bull. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, that's correct. We actually uh, just got back from the Alps um, working on a new television show out there for them, so it was, it was pretty exciting.
0: Um, can you talk about that show? I can't talk about it in too much detail.
1: Um, I do know that it's going to be released here fairly soon, um, and we can definitely have a better conversation about it then. Um, but I will say that we were able to, um, you know, shoot up at 12,000 feet, um, and get some incredible um, sights of the city that we were shooting in, as well as the mountains and, and the uh, the stars that came out at night. So it was incredible to see that.
0: Other than the Red Bull project that you're working on, uh, what else is on tap that you can talk about?
1: Um, so, you know, we uh, regularly work with the NFL. Um, we shoot a lot of their uh, Super Bowl intros and outros as well as the the draft. So we've got that coming up pretty soon. Um, and that's always a, a fun time kind of and very hectic at the same time because we have to process and shoot all within about a two week time period and then deliver material usually by game day, which is um, just right around the corner from when we finish. So um, it's, it's pretty quick. And then, um you know we also work with companies like p b s and discovery channel um and Coach and Corona and whatnot and you know we we're always doing different kinds of um, commercial setups for them as well so it's it's always um a unique experience for us because we're always doing something different and new.
0: It sounds like certainly our um certainly are keeping busy
1: yeah, <laughs> we are. We actually just got uh, six new contracts this week, so trying to figure out who's going where and who's doing what. So it should be interesting to see how that turns out.
0: Congratulations on that. Yeah, thanks. Well, thanks so much for joining us today on the podcast.
1: I appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. Thank you.
0: Creating a time-lapse used to involve a complex post-production workflow just to see what you shot with the camera. New in-camera features like the slow and quick mode in newer Sony cameras and the ability to add the Play Memories Time Lapse Camera app make it easy to create a professional-level clip right in the camera. I spoke with Eldine Nadia to learn more. I'm here today with Eldine Nadia, and we're at Sony headquarters in San Diego, California, and we're talking about uh, the new slow and quick. And Eldine, thanks very much for joining us on the podcast. Thanks for having me again. Can you describe um, how the new slow and quick feature works? It's in, I believe, the uh, A992 and uh, the A6500.
2: As well as the RX100 Mark V. So slow and quick basically just refers to variable uh, frame rates that you can set the video function in the camera uh, in order to capture either slow motion or quick motion. And essentially what that really means is... Um, you know, typically cameras have a 24p, 30p, 60p, 120p, uh, you know, frame rates that you can choose from. Um, or in previous models that we've had, HFR, uh, specifically in the RX series, RX uh, 10 and 100s, we've had high frame rate recording. And uh, what that allows the camera to do is uh, preset to record um, at, you know, 240 uh, 489, 60 frames a second, and then capture that video um, for a very short period of time and you know two seconds but then uh, record it as uh, what your preset is so you you set the camera to say look my output is going to be 24 frames a second but my capture is going to be 960 frames a second uh, it's going to capture either two or four seconds depending on which camera and what setting you're in. Um, and then it's going to play back that 960 frames a second at 24p. So you'll have you know something like a minute and a half of playback out of you know two seconds captures. It's going to give you like a minute and a half playback or something like that. So that's capturing um, very high frame rate. So it's very quick frame rate that'll play back in slow motion. Now, conversely, you've got um, some of the settings in the camera and we have intervalometers on uh, some of the cameras. They're available as a download from the uh, Play Memories camera app store um, on uh, most of the, uh, you know, later uh, Alpha series and also uh, some RX series cameras. And what that allows you to do is set the camera into a intervalometer where it'll capture um, over a long period of time, a very slow frame rate so one two five you know 10 frames um, per second or you know uh and, and basically <clears throat> you'll be able to take those images and then either bring them into a uh, nle and put them together in a um, a time lapse essentially in post or the camera can do it in camera depending on how you set it you can set it also that the camera will then capture all those images and then render out a uh, basically a time-lapse video so in the new cameras slow and quick essentially uh, simplifies this um, and allows you to then set your video to capture uh, from one frame a second to something like 120 frames a second in nine different increments. So essentially you have the opportunity of either capturing um, slower than real time and time lapse or uh, you know uh, high speed shooting that's gonna be rendered out at a slower frame rate. And you set that in your slow and quick setting and then uh, you hit recording your video and it'll actually capture that uh, video and, and, and basically save it as what your preset is, either 24, 30p, etc.
0: And that's, and that's actually, like I said before, it's built into the, the new cameras, yes? Yeah, that
2: is correct, yeah. That's that's just a, uh, a video function, a video feature. So, you know, you, you have the option of then shooting in standard frame rates, 24, 30, 60p. Or if you're uh, shooting in the PAL system, a lot of the cameras are actually uh, dual zones, so NTSC or PAL. And, yeah, you, you could, you know, in that case, it's either 24 or 50p. So you either have your preset, your standard settings that you're just gonna shoot at 24p and capture 24p. The other thing is baked in is slow and quick and that's where you have your variable speeds that you can choose from, or variable sorry, variable frame rates that you can choose from. Shoot in that frame rate and then output it as uh, whatever end result video you're looking for. Great, thanks so much, Aldin. Thank you very much. Do you
0: have a question about Sony technology or camera features? Go to the podcast show notes at alphauniverse.com to see how to contact us. It might be pretty easy to create a time-lapse in camera today, but there are still details that separate the best from the rest. Drew Geraci joins us again with a couple of Do This Now Pro tips to give your time-lapse movies a polished look. So we're back now with Andrew Juracy and Andrew, what's some advice that you can give to one of our listeners to do right now? Something that's going to make a real uh, impact for them as they try to make their own
1: really high-quality time lapses. Some advice that I can give for people that are just starting out: um, it's, it's choosing your intervals correctly. Um, you know, if you're shooting something slow, you want to have a little bit longer uh, interval. So you're talking maybe one to three seconds for clouds, or if you're shooting shadows, you know, maybe eight to fourteen seconds. Um, One of the things that people sometimes mess up on is shooting people or cars and you really want to make sure that your um, intervals are more like in the two to three second range at the most, um, sometimes even one second. Um, And that's going to give you a very fluid um, kind of feeling with your people um, as they walk down the street um, or your cars if they're moving quickly. I think the next big thing um, as well is make sure you shoot everything in raw. I mean, shooting in JPEG can you know save some space on your card, but if you really want to retain um, all of the information that's in the scene, shoot in RAW. That way, when you get into post-production, um, you can pull out all the highlights and the midtones and the shadows, um, and you can really change the tone and feel of your um, your shot, and you create something unique that's that's you basically, um, and that's how you create a style. So I would definitely say that shooting in RAW is is the best way to go for time lapse, um, and it's definitely going to yield um, a, a more cinematic, more professional look as well.
0: What what memory cards do you use when you're shooting?
1: Uh, so I use a variety of cards. Uh, right now we're using the the PNY 128 gigabyte thousand um, X cards. Um, they're amazing. Um, we can shoot both uh, 8K um, photos and 4K video at the same time with them, uh, or not the same time, but as the same time it's in the card or it's in the camera um, and. You know, you really want to make sure you have a fast card. If you're shooting something that's in the 8K the resolution, you want to make sure you have at least um, a 90 uh, megabit second card. Um, I would say 150 is probably the way to go. Um, that way you're not um, having to wait for the, the camera to reload um, or buffer, and you can just keep taking shots.
0: That's great advice. Thanks so much, Andrew. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Thanks for joining me on the Alpha Universe podcast. In the next episode, my guest will be Sony artisan and City Street photographer, Vivienne Goussois. You can find the show notes for this episode at alphauniverse.com. Subscribe to the Alpha Universe podcast at iTunes or in the podcast app on your smartphone or tablet.